0: What's happening in Saudi is nothing short of a revolution in the most positive sense ever. It's incredible. You have public institutions, you have public funding for the arts, but you also, more importantly, have artists and a scene that has already developed over the last 20 years in particular, and people now really understanding that that is a part of how you make people understand who you are in a better way.
1: Hey there, I'm Stan Stoniker, back with the Hub Culture Chronicles, our ongoing conversations on everything culture and future. Joining us today is doctor and princess, Alia Al-Sanussi. She's the cultural strategist with Art Basel and the Saudi Ministry of Culture. Welcome, Alia. How are you doing today?
0: I'm good, thanks. I'm so excited to be back with you, although it's sad that we're in the ether rather than in real life together.
1: Right, we always talk about Emerald City, our virtual reality city, as being the place where we host this podcast because we have all been so remote. You know, I love the fact that we've known each other over many years now, and whether it's Basel or Miami or Hong Kong, you're always one of my go-to people in the art world. Where are you now? You're in the U.S.?
0: I am in the U.S. I'm actually in the Midwest, which is, you know, probably not what people would normally associate with me, although any of my good friends with would know that I'm here visiting my 93-year-old grandmother in Minnesota, and it's her very first couple of weeks with us that we get to see her since all the start of all this craziness in the world. She's vaccinated, so are we, and we're so happy.
1: You know, that's such a great uh, and enlightening note to start off today's discussion, because I think we are not just at the light of the end of the tunnel, but we're actually coming back out into the daylight again on the backside of this pandemic. And You know, I think the world is a different place. And this is what I wanted to talk to you about today is in culture and art and especially, you know, the world of Art Basel, we're coming into a new world. And I'm curious, like, as we start off this conversation, what do you think that new world looks like? Um, Aside from being able to see your grandmother, which is great, what's happening in the world of art?
0: Well, I actually think that, you know, this idea of like going back to in real life is what's happening in the world of art. And I'm lucky that I'm I'm here in Minnesota right now. I get to go, you know, I went to a gallery yesterday. I'm going to the Walker tomorrow. I'm, you know, going to the MIA next week. And, you know, things are open. And in California, where I've been spending most of this current London lockdown, as you know, I'm usually based in London, where I am, you know, the Art Basel representative for the UK and the Middle East and kind of back and forth bouncing around. We've been closed since December in the UK and off and on last year. And so in California, the museums just reopened last week. So I got to go see the NARA show at LACMA. You know, the galleries were open actually for the last couple of months. And it's been really great to like be back in real life and in the Middle East our Dubai happened in real life where i you know we've also crossed paths there in the past it's my very mm-hmm. first year of ever missing our Dubai i helped start the fair i was you know a founding board member founding you know created the board of patrons so you know a little bittersweet not to be there but of course it's not also the same as as normal and then in Saudi Arabia we had the Noor light festival and that is just incredible i'm sure many of your listeners have seen the images on instagram we had 100,000 visitors in the first 5 days it was like public light festival so i think people are really yes of course it's wonderful and i'm really happy we have people listening to us right now and you know this is virtual and you know we're learning so much by looking at things online but i hope that me telling people right now about all of these things. You can go see things in real life too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're back in business, so to speak. Let's start with a look at where Art Basel's headed. What does the rest of the year look like for Basel? I know that Hong Kong is happening, and that's exciting. And there's probably conditions about being able to get to Hong Kong. So it's probably going to be a little bit more locally focused this year. But when you look at the map for the work you're doing with Art Basel, what does the rest of the year look like?
0: Well, we just wrapped up a OVR, so the online viewing room. We've had a series of them over the last year. We transitioned immediately after the first Art Basel Hong Kong last year was canceled. And then we had a series of kind of bespoke OVRs focused on the 20th century, focused on the year 2020, which I thought was super interesting and had so much fun kind of hosting a, a few tours with friends and, and and artists. And then we just did this one called OVR Pioneers about pioneers of art in the 20th century and also, you know, for me, it was really special. I always try to bring in a special guest and have that guest. So Elisa Sednawi, who's like a dear friend and, you know, the kind of philanthropist, social entrepreneur model, you know, always quite fun doing something with a supermodel when you're on video together. So I had to really <laughs> think about what I was going to do with that. No
1: one. competition there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. And then with one of my best friends, Dana Faruqi last year and you know, I tried to like make these a community. So with Art Basel in real life, though we have next coming up is Art Basel Hong Kong, in May, which is it was it's usually in March, and actually the first Art Art Hong Kongs I went to were in May. So super I humid. Those. Yeah. yeah, Art Hong I Kong mean,
1: was the genesis bit when it before it transformed into Art Basel
0: exactly and as a man you will remember if you ever wore a shirt your shirt would be soaked through by the end of the night because it was so hot and humid but sexy and sweaty and fun <laughs> yeah. and so yeah that's in may and actually i was just making the joke that i had i had gone on a mission to like get my vaccine you know, do the end of the day you know end of dose vaccines just in the hopes that there would be a vaccine passport to go to Hong Kong. It is my favorite week of the year. The community there is so important to me. I absolutely love my friends and my life there. But it doesn't look like that's going to be possible. It's a 21-day government hotel quarantine to get there. So unfortunately, I won't get to be there. But I think, you know, everyone who is there is going to have an incredible time. We just announced the gallery list. It's 106 galleries, many local, but also from around the world, some new time to Hong Kong. And so I think everyone is just so excited in the community to be there. And then, you know, after that, we have Basel in September, so push back from June. And as far as I hear, we have all, a lot of collectors very excited, booking their hotels, vaccinated, super happy to be there. And then I think Miami in December is going to be like olden times, like kick off the party, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, Marty, Miami is already like olden times <laughs> <laughs> with all the spring breakers. But I definitely think that certainly by December, barring some unforeseen circumstance, we're going to be back in full steam ahead, and people will mm-hmm. be very ready for. For this sort of thing. And we'll hopefully be back with our blockhouse, which we've had the last few years in Miami yeah. during that week. You know, it's very interesting though, because we are on the backside of a pretty transformative change where digital has become more important in the art world. And, you know, I would like to talk to you a little bit later in this conversation about some of the cultural shifts that are happening between regions. So we had talked earlier about the Middle East and Asia and how these two regions are playing a larger and larger role and even a bilateral role. But there's also this other region, which is the digital region. And I'm curious if you could tell me, what do you see happening in the digital world around art? There's a lot of areas to cover in that, but you know, one of them is NFTs, which we can get into in a second. But I'm also really just curious, Like, are you seeing new forms of digital art emerge because of what we've just gone through?
0: Well, I think that a lot of artists are thinking more and more about how to incorporate the digital world into their work. So, you know, historically, actually, and finally, when we met, um, you know, must have been, what, 14, 15 years ago, you know, Mariko Mori, you know, an incredible Japanese One of my
1: artist. favorite artist. Yes, yes. And I've she, always been impressed with Mariko Mori ever since she found a way to like map neutrinos coming into the earth and then turn it into like a light object.
0: Yes, exactly. (laughs) I mean, and so, you know, artists have been really fascinated by the subject of science and of technology and had often not had access to that world because, you know, the worlds were so bifurcated or so separated. So I think that, you know, certain artists who are interested in that in terms of their own knowledge, in terms of what the work they're doing, will be more and more looking to the digital world to be a part of that. I do think that for example because I'm sure a lot of your listeners are you know interested in NFTs, I think that the world of the NFT is though a very separate world to the art mm-hmm. world that we're talking about. You know, yes, of course, you know you hear about certain artists are exploring NFTs and I'm sure certain top level galleries or let's say established art world, you know, players are looking at NFTs, but for me it is something that operates in a very separate way. And actually I just saw an article yesterday that verbalized everything I'd had a conversation with somebody last week about, was that the digital world still very much embraces this kind of bro culture, which just, you know, kind of makes my skin crawl in so many ways. And you you hear about that in the gaming world. I'm not in the gaming world, but that is definitely something that happens in the gaming world. So I I think that it's it's something for us to think about and to look at, but I do think of it as a very separate world.
1: Do you, are you looking to these new digital platforms like NFT platforms like OpenSea or Rarible or SuperRare as a place to potentially find talent?
0: No, I, I, for me that I don't see that at all. <laughs> to be and, very, to be very clear.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's very valid because the art world is filled with curators and arbiters who kind of decide what becomes valuable in a lot of ways, whether it's the gallery system or the museum system or the exhibition system. And, you know, there is this full frontal attack by the world of crypto or digital to try to break into the art world. And it's very interesting to see how strong those fortresses are going to be in terms of the curation. What I see happening is that there's this rush of, say, supply coming to the market And it's that very curation that has defined the art world so long, which is now becoming the really valuable commodity within the NFT space. So I think there's gonna be an emerging layer of influence that happens within the NFT space that will kind of elevate some players or artists Mm -hmm. into the more rarefied world of the art world.
0: I mean, so I would rather see the reverse of that, right? I, I think that, you know, what we have seen in the past what was zombie, zombie realism or photo, whatever it was that Jerry salts, you know, talked about. Yeah. I actually see NFTs as like a new iteration of that is that there's this like world that, and I get so many emails and phone calls and from friends or, you know, friends of friends who are like, Oh, you're an art person. I have this where I want to like buy this and then make it go up like 10 X and then sell. And, you know, you hear about all of these people who want to be, really manipulators of the market. They think they can play the market because they're smart or because they have money or a combination of both. And yes, good for them that they have money or that they're smart. Great. But that doesn't mean you understand the art world. And I actually think that people who are like trying now to like kind of be a part of that NFT world and be like, we're going to revolutionize the art world and we're going to change this like ridiculously elite art world. No, you, if you don't get the art world, that's not going to happen. You might be able to do it one-off and like good for people that he did it one-off. And I'm sure, you know, that money is going to change his life. Good for him. He got someone to pay that amount of money. Great. Well done. But you know what? That is not a part of my art world and my art world i would love to see some artists in my art world like go the other way and say like let me explore an nft let me see how i can do this let me see how that happens and then we can have a conversation but I think-, I
1: think that's going to happen and you know with the dirty secret of a lot of the nft stuff is that the big bids have actually been made two or three degrees separated by people who are either pumping the platforms or a particular technologies themselves mm-hmm. as a means of trying to establish a floor for pricing. And so some of the, even the people, there's a lot of rumors behind the scenes that this was really in a way supported, you could say kindly supported by players in the market who want to see an NFT floor of mm-hmm. value created so that the rest of the world will kind of take it seriously. So like everything in the world, there's always a I, I think a substory
0: mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, another sub-story, Alia, is cultural. So I know that you have done a lot of work in the Middle East, both in Saudi and in Dubai. Tell me, what do you see happening in other regions?
0: Well, in the Middle East and in Africa also. So I sit on the board of 154, the African Art Fair, and I think that you see this emerging acceptance of art and culture as an everyday part of society, and also as a source of a creative economy and as a arbiter of your country's wealth and standing in the world, so let's say soft power or cultural diplomacy, but also as an addition to your GDP. And art and culture have been a huge part of what we see happening in the U.S. and the U.K., for, especially in the France. I mean, France has been so unbelievable in the way that they have dealt with their soft power and their standing in the world and the way in which that they've monetized that. Of course, the U S has done it unbelievably well, but not in an official way. So, you know, you have Hollywood, you have, you know, Disneyland, you have all these things that are seen as so American. Coca-Cola, you know, so American in the world, but never in an official sense, but, and in the UK you have the British council, which does this, you know, kind of amazing job of pushing forward the English language and, British systems and institutions into the world, so I, you know, welcome all of the readers to look up the Arts Council England, their studies that they release, because it's an incredible thing to see that for every pound put into culture in the UK, six pounds goes back to GDP. That's an unbelievable return on investment. That's
1: a great return on investment it's <laughs> yes. that the UK should be sorely taking into account, given all the effects of Brexit and, you know, the economic impacts of the last mm-hmm. year where there's all these questions about how how do they support instead of cut funding the yes. future.
0: Yes, exactly, and I think I'm not, you know, extremely involved in the music world, but I thought one of the most compelling videos I'd seen over the course of COVID was done by DJ Goldie, who was responding to Rishi Sunak, the, you know, who's the government, you know, kind of a very famous government minister in the UK, for those of you who don't know, And who'd said, oh, all of you, you know, people in in the arts and culture and music, you guys should just go retrain. We don't need, you know, artists or musicians or ballet dancers or any of that. Go retrain. And so DJ Goldie responded back being like, F off. You want us to go? We like have given back, and he cited all these numbers of how much music and the underground music scene has given back to the UK. He's like, you don't want the Beatles? You don't want like current music culture? Sorry, no.
1: And yeah, also, it's like retrained to go do what? Like oh, become like, a banker? Sit in a desk and like trade numbers in an accounting spreadsheet? I mean, yeah. that's not culture.
0: No, no, it was it was cuckoo. It was like a cuckoo <laughs> conversation, really.
1: Well, speaking of cuckoo, there is a lot of change happening around geopolitics and culture. And I wonder if you could talk to me a little bit about who are the rising stars in in this area. You mentioned even just now this idea of an emerging art scene in Africa, which we've seen that in Nigeria and other places Mm -hmm. where it's actually quite booming. And I remember at some of the Biennales recently over the last several years, noticing like a real rise in amazing African artists and and art. But beyond that, it does reflect a cultural shift from a geopolitical standpoint. So do you see movements happening? I mean, certainly it's happened with Art Basel going global over the last 10 years. But as you look forward to the future, do you see the powers of influence shifting the locations?
0: Definitely. You know, I think, you know, we, I think that America, I mean, the US, America will always be a really important center of the art world. You just there's such a dedication to the arts in the US and such a dedication amongst the, the private sector and collectors, which you really don't have yet in the Middle East and Africa. You know, And, and actually that's something that I have really tried to help work at and, and augment and, and add to the community, but there's still a hesitation by individuals and corporations to sponsor the arts or to become collectors or be a part of the art world. And so the US just really has that. People are so dedicated to supporting their local institutions artists, collectors, galleries, you know, all the rest of it. So, you know, I'm not at all, it's not a foregone conclusion that, you know, the U.S. will not be a part of that. But you can still have other leaders, you know, it doesn't have to be, uh, there doesn't have to be a hegemon, there can be a multi-layered, you know, kind of powerful series of, of players in the art world. And you see more and more of that coming from China, from across Asia. So I have had amazing experiences in in Japan and in Korea and have yet to visit Taiwan, but I know also has an incredible vibrant scene. But in Singapore, I, I, was, I was there actually just before COVID kind of hit. So you have so many dedicated individuals across Asia and I am a huge lover of like my Asian life and friends and, and what's happening there. And then in the Middle East, Saudi, I mean, what's happening in Saudi is nothing short of a revolution in the most positive sense ever. It's incredible. You have public institutions, you have public funding for the arts, but you also, more importantly, have artists and a scene that has already developed over the last 20 years in particular, but then also you had a modern art scene in like the 60s, 70s, 80s that was there, 60s, 70s. And people now really understanding that that is a part of how you make people understand who you are in a better way. You you don't want to be associated with the bad acts of, a couple of bad individuals from your country, but you want to make sure people understand the best of what your country has to offer, and that is the arts and culture.
1: And there's so much happening with the development of these new regions within Saudi, whether you look at Neom or the, there's a, I think, an entire cultural city that's being planned, you know, on the drawing board, because Riyadh is expected to double in size. Yeah. between now and 2030, which is an incredible feat. If you think about like the boom that Dubai went through, and if you look at what a global center, a global hub Dubai is today, Riyadh has always felt a little bit more insular. But I think that this growth phase that the city is expected to go through in the next 10 years is going to transform Riyadh's cultural standing relative to where it is today.
0: Yes. I mean... So Riyadh, you know, historically there was always a saying. So I have been going to Saudi like the last twelve years, and went with a friend the first time. She invited us, you know, to visit her her country, her hometown. We went to Jeddah. We didn't even go to Riyadh because Riyadh was just considered this really closed off place, and she didn't was like, oh, there's nothing for you guys to to kind of see and experience. So we went to Jeddah, and then we went to Al Ula. So Al-Hala, as you know, some of you may understand, and this amazing place that it now has had this regeneration and it's gonna be a home of ecotourism for the, the kingdom. And Jeddah was the place, it was called Jeddahir, which means Jeddah's different, and meaning multi-layers of different, that Jeddah was this port city, it was the city that it was on the trade routes and pre-Islamic and post is, you know, post-the founding of Islam. And so historically has always been the kind of coming together of cultures and different peoples. And Jeddah was like where all the artists were and where just things happened. And now this understanding that Riyadh is opening up and that, you know, especially, you know, with women's place in society being ever more opened within the last two and a half years in such a positive and amazing way, uh, that women are really just at the forefront of so many societal shifts. So yeah, I mean Riyadh, you know, the Royal Commission of the of Riyadh City just put on this uh, amazing light festival called the Noor Festival, which Noor means light in Arabic. And and, and so it, it is it's it's changing and for the better. And there's not that many places in the world that you can say that right now.
1: You know, you mentioned earlier that Pace just opened in Korea. Let's shift the focus over farther east to the Pacific Rim. It seems like The Western galleries have put more attention on Asia over the last several years for obvious reasons. But I'm wondering if you see that affecting the types of art that we see because of the growing importance of these regional Pacific Rim centers.
0: Well, I definitely, actually, I think that's a really great segue to that, this idea of of Saudi shifting to Asia. I mean, Saudi, of course, will always historically have very serious and, and important ties to the U.S. and to Europe. I mean, for example, what happened in Alula right now, you know, the master plan of Alula was done in conjunction with the Agence France and with the French heritage authorities. And, you know, it was a kind of multi-billion dollar agreement that was with the French helping, you know, knowledge transfer and really development. Because the French have been so incredible at that and really done a good job with that in, uh, in other parts of the world. But then at the same time, Saudi and other parts of the region are looking to Asia. So TeamLab, you know, this incredible collective from Japan, their third, I think, permanent site is in, in outside of Asia. Their first outside of Asia will be in Saudi Arabia, in Jeddah, in the historical district in Jeddah. TeamLab, of course, is part of Super Blue, you know, the PACE initiative in Miami, but their first standalone outside of Asia will be in Jeddah. In terms of what's happening in Korea, you also see, you know, these, these links with, with the Middle East, car manufacturers, and, and, and of course, cultural institutions. Yeah. Samsung, I mean, Samsung is huge in the Middle East, and that's a Korean company. And so this idea of Asia linking to the Middle East, a project that I've helped usher through the Ministry of Culture is the Biennale and our first curator or inaugural curator is Philip Tanari, who's an American man but living in Beijing and is one of the most important museum directors in the world and in Asia in particular because he's the CEO and director of the UCCA Center for Contemporary Art, which is in Beijing. And so that connection of what's happening in Saudi now and post 2018, post 2020, And what happened in China in the 1980s was a really important idea for us to explore.
1: You know, I wonder with Dubai, the World Expo has always been, you know, it's not an art thing per se, but in a way it kind of is. And, you know, the Expo was obviously delayed. I've talked to people who are planning to attend or who are in Dubai, who said that what Dubai has built for Expo is, is pretty incredible. Do you find that that is that kind of global leadership is now really par for the course in the middle east like
0: yes i mean and i think it's definitely hit and miss i think there have been examples of things you know or conferences or things that have happened that have maybe not been you know but have just been attempts to like be a part of this and i think that expo 2020 is absolutely one of the most incredible things and dubai is rightfully proud of of you know hosting it and even in terms of their transition of how they have, you know, kind of gone from Expo 2020, I've been hearing about Expo 2020 for whatever, four or five years. And now we're Expo 2021, but it's no, it's like Tokyo. It's like 2020 mm-hmm. one. And here we are. And I think it's really important because it's regenerating the city. It's putting a focus on all the right things. And Dubai, you know, and the UAE in general has done such a good job of, of really meeting this moment of COVID and the changing world. And so I think Expo is going to be a wonderful month and moment and months.
1: Well, I always love it because I tend to look at architecture as one of the most important expressions of art, obviously very permanent, and this ability to have pavilions. If you look at some of the pavilions that have been created in Dubai for Expo, They are absolutely stunning and incredible. And for a company like ours that does pavilions, it's always inspiring to see what a real big project can create and the kind of outsized impact that that can have. And I love that. It's kind of one of those intersection points where art and architecture meet and Mm -hmm. merge into something new. Let me ask you uh, again about Asia. Like... You know, one of the things that I think is really interesting about Basel in general as a project, but also Freeze and the fairs generally, is like it's where people go to kind of get a sense of the zeitgeist. And to, you you kind of come away from four days at Basel and you're like, oh, I kind of know what's coming next. It's almost like this weird frequency that almost gets picked up by the way that the shows get curated mm-hmm. and. The, you kind of come away with a feeling. Like I remember in 2007 coming away from one of the Biennales in Venice and, and then the the art shows that year and feeling this kind of impending dread. And then right after that, the financial crisis came. Yeah. You know, I'm wondering, because you are getting out and kind of sensing with your eyes the art world today, and not everyone has been able to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. What are you
1: sensing? What do you feel the art world is communicating to the rest of the world.
0: Well, I think it's actually, you know, geographically, you know, separated. I think that parts of the art world are really hopeful. And I think that you see that in the Middle East very much. I think that especially in Saudi with what happened with Noor, you're seeing this really positive, you know, look to the future with what we're trying to do with the Biennale. And I think that in terms of art fairs, you're absolutely right. It really bothers me that, People just look at it as an art fair, as a oh, just super commercial, and just dismiss them. But no, you're absolutely right. You really get a sense at an art fair, at a biennale, what is coming or what is being discussed right now. And I love being at an art fair and walking the aisles, and whether that be you know Art Basel Hong Kong, where I actually probably am like the most manic of any of the fairs or really getting to spend time in Basel. Like I think Basel is for me, very contemplative.
1: I love the pace of Basel.
0: Yeah. You know, you know? It's,
1: just, it's so Swiss. Yeah. And, you know, it is what the whole thing is named after, but the energy of Miami, Hong Kong and Basel are so different. And if you haven't been to all three, it's hard to kind of compare and to yeah. really that, but it's so true. Like the pace of Basel is so refined.
0: Yes, and it's just so important, you know, to be there to really interact with people. I mean, I know we overlap, you and I, at so many other events. But in Basel, I actually think I've probably spent more time with you than in other places, because you actually get to spend time, like, you meet someone, you sit with them in the lounge, you sit and have a, mm-hmm. you know, your little saucy saw in, in the in the the, the mesa and and the rest of it. And I think that when you think of the artist projects that happen, like Unlimited, I mean, Unlimited is so special, and that only happens in Basel. So I think that all the art fairs really offer this moment to reflect on what's happening in the world. And also not just by seeing the art, but by who you're interacting with. And that is what's important of being part of this ecosystem. The art world ecosystem to me, and that is like one of my favorite words, the ecosystem is so important.
1: Yeah, it is. And, you know, I think this idea that there are different worlds within worlds in the art world is really the message that I'm getting today because you know whether it's Korea or Hong Kong or Saudi or the digital world of NFTs or the fairs all of these worlds overlap and intersect but they are their own little eddies and their own little systems within the larger ecosystem Mm -hmm. the one area we haven't discussed much and I'd like to do it for a couple minutes before we wrap up here is artists themselves who is on your radar
0: well I think that What's happening in the US, especially that I've been here now since December, and I am half American, and I'm sure to your listeners, I sound extremely American, is that, you know, of course, it's artists of color. So whether they are, you know, African American, Black, or indigenous cultures, or Latin, I, I think that those artists are really getting their just due and just attention. And for me, you know, seeing what's happening now in terms of that community it is so reminiscent of how I have had to deal with, you know, making people realize that Middle Eastern artists are something that they should understand and look at. And I remember, and I tell this story often. So anybody who's heard me say this again, sorry, but you know, there were these very prominent collectors from Miami who we were together in Abu Dhabi. This was 13 years ago. They're like, "Oh, these Arab artists, these Middle Eastern artists, they're just so obsessed with politics. It's just so boring. They're so political." And you're like, "Well, yeah." if you've been living in conflict your entire life, of course your work is going to be political. And they had still not collected African-American, you know, black art at all. And now are champions of it. And it just, you know, it's it's funny to me. Funny is probably not the appropriate word, but it's just, it's strange to me how people can really shift so quickly. But I guess I welcome that too, you know, so Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be saying anything Negative it is part of the cultural
1: good. evolution, right, where it yeah. reflects the zeitgeist at large, because even you could say that, but also you could also say that that was a precursor to American art right now, which mm-hmm. is, surprise, surprise, increasingly political, mm-hmm. right? So I, I do think that like by looking at these other regions and these other like voices, it actually even influences what becomes like a message in the mainstream later on, right? That's why the art fairs are so interesting, especially globally, because you start to get a sense of like the things that are bubbling up before they've actually broken through to the mainstream in in some way.
0: Exactly. And I think it's also really important that people realize, I mean, we don't need to go into like cancel culture and all the rest of, or, you know, kind of being woke. I think that, you know, for me, 2016 was the worst year of my life. I mean, it was, you know, kind of on multiple levels of personal professional. I, you know, was finishing or actually, I'm sorry, in process with my PhD. I was going through Brexit and Trump. And to me, it just felt like, for me, it felt like cancel culture of who I was. And so 2020 has been a moment of reflection, but in a more positive way that I was able to be there for my friends and my community who were going through a hard time themselves. I mean, with, you know, COVID and this kind of retreat retraction and reflection of the world. So 2016 was that time for me. So I think it's also very different in terms of how we look at that in the art world.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It's very interesting. When you look ahead to the rest of the year, do you have a kind of art wish? Like what would you like to see happen?
0: I would love to be back in person in real life. And I would love for people to stop like complaining about art fairs. It's one of the most annoying things I remember in 2019. Oh, too many art fairs, too many art fairs. Yes, I get it. Yes, sir. Well, we
1: wouldn't give for an art fair today.
0: (laughs) I I love it. And I think that if you do it right and you surround yourself with the right people, you can have this incredible moment. I want to see people join things. I want to see people like join committees and join groups of of the museums. I want to see people give back to their communities and join the institutions. Don't reject them, don't cancel them. I think the Tate is one of the most revolutionary, most important institutions in the world, bar none of the 20th century. I think that, you know, that is something that we need to hold up on a pillar and make sure it lasts and it thrives. So I want to see people join. I guess that is what I hope for, you know, 2021.
1: I love it. yeah Thank you so much for an insightful global tour of the art world and the worlds within worlds, which define art. I really wish you well. I can't wait to see you in person, running into you, running past me, undoubtedly. <laughs> um, in, no. in some city with all those white walls. I'm sure I'll see you online in some virtual gallery sooner or later. But yes, what a great conversation. And You know, for everybody listening, I think it's so wonderful to have your enthusiasm about not just art, but also culture and such an optimistic view of like where we can be. You know, people are really longing and just I've had such a mental vacation from this last 45 minutes with you because it's it's bringing up so many memories and moments that I've loved at art fairs around the world. And it really reminds us how important art is to culture. And if we don't have culture, what do we have?
0: Exactly. Well, I'm happy to be an evangelist of the art world, of art fairs, of institutions, and so I welcome all of you, and Stan, especially you, because I miss you, um, to kind of join me in real life and virtually in the meantime.
1: Okay. Well, thank you so much, Alia. For the Hub Culture Chronicles in Emerald City, I'm Stan Stalnaker. We will be launching our virtual reality museum soon within Emerald City, so we'll have to go check that out later in the spring when it debuts. But in the meantime, I guess we'll just be checking our NFT wallets while we wait to get back to these art fairs. Thank you so much for joining us today, Alia.
0: Thank you, Stan.
1: For the rest of us, join us online for the Hub Culture Chronicles wherever you get your podcasts, including SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes. And again, you can visit us inside hubculture.city for a tour of many different buildings and virtual reality places that are constantly evolving and emerging. For now, I'm Stan Stoliker, thanks for listening.